Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. I'm Becky. And I'm Scott. We're so excited to have you join us today on our 22nd episode. This is really exciting, and we have two really special guests. They're our friends, Jimmy and Shelly Corey. They're authors, speakers, trainers, and coaches, and they have helped hundreds of individuals gain control over their thoughts and actions and achieve higher levels of success. And this being the new year... We've got tons of lists of all the things oh, we want to accomplish this year. Yes, we do. Year. Jimmy and, and Shelly are going to help us fulfill every one of those things. <laughs> right? Yes. You, guys, you guys are there for <laughs> no, us. You're, you're there for us. But I think we need to have little party horns. I, I don't know why we're not screaming oh, and the hooting 20, and hollering. This episode. is our 22nd episode of Life in 22 Woo! Yeah. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Yep. So welcome, Jimmy and Shelly. Thank you for being our 22nd guest. Well, thanks for having us. This is pretty exciting. It is. It is. I don't know if you guys are weird on things like that. And it's, Becky wasn't so weird, but she's getting more so the more I've convinced <laughs> her that this is kind of cool. Well, Do you guys have any quirks? Well, you know, um, my birthday is coming up on the 22nd. Oh, wow. There you There's, go. Jimmy and Shelly have four children. And I can I tell the world that you have another one on the way? It's not a secret anymore. I'm showing, so. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. <laughs> it is. So tell us quickly, how did how did you and Jimmy meet? And what led you into writing a book and being speakers and trainers and coaches? We actually met uh, back in college. He was at Snow. I was up at Weber State. And we were singing for the show choirs there. And his choir came up and did a tour with us. And we went to see their concert, and I just happened to be sitting on the end when the guys were supposed to come out and flirt with some girls in the audience while they sang. And I was the one sitting on the end, and I got flirted with, and I flirted back. And <laughs> She was best looking, too. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's kind of weird that way, how we met. And it was long distance. We emailed. We talked on the phone. We officially went on our first date several weeks later after we decided we were already getting married, which is, <laughs> I'll never let my kids do it that way, but <laughs> it was right, and five kids later, here we are, mm -hmm. right? There you go. 12 plus, plus years. That's cool. That's so, you guys look great yeah. together. You guys look like you are a match. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it's been 12 years. I hope we're a match. <laughs> Whether we are or not, we're committed. We are committed. <laughs> sticking it out <laughs> well your book i have it sitting here in my hand it's master your mindset nine keys to gaining control over the mess in your head wow how did that come about um well i was a mess jimmy and i got married we started having kids right off he was in school full-time working full-time um my pregnancies get really sick and it's hard to stay on top of kind of the depression type stuff that comes with being really sick and uh, so my pregnancy with my first was really tough. And then after that, I had really bad postpartum. Then we just 
felt like we were supposed to continue having a family, even though it was one of the toughest things we've ever done. I started to really spiral out of control where I was having um, anxiety attacks every day. I was struggling to get out of bed. I was having a really hard time taking care of my children or finding any joy or happiness in life, really. So we took some drastic measures. We sold our house. We quit Jimmy's job. We took over a family business several hours away and started a new life. And I was introduced to some material about how to change my thoughts. And I had known for a long time that the answer was in changing. I knew I, for me, I wasn't supposed to be medicated. I had gone that route before. It didn't do what it what I needed it to do. It didn't feel right. And I knew there was something within me that needed to change. And I just didn't know what. And so as this information started to become introduced to me, I started studying it and I started praying about it and just really felt like this was God's answer. It was a big light bulb for both Jimmy and I, which was a huge blessing because a lot of women I talk to, their husbands aren't always on board or (laughs) vice versa, but it was a journey we went through together to really gain control over this mess that we had created inside our own minds. Yeah, because I was just as much of a mess, if not more so. (laughs) We were, it was sad. (laughs) <laughs> but but the thing is, I was curious and I was going to ask you, but then you touched on it a little bit was you didn't want to go medicated. I had done a lot of counseling. That. I had done some meds. In fact, when I finally realized I had anxiety is when I went to the doctor and said, I think this might be anxiety. They tried some meds and I finally felt normal for a couple of weeks. And then the meds weren't strong enough and they just wanted to keep upping my dose. And I just said, no, I got to find another way to deal with this. And I was grateful, very grateful for her persistence in seeking solutions. Because she, she's not a quitter. She doesn't give up. Yeah. So about a year ago, actually, a year ago Christmas, I finally, I had been teaching all this stuff that I learned with my track kids. I was a track coach. I just felt really strongly that I was supposed to put everything that I taught in this class into a book that could get in more hands and that there were other, what I felt strongly when I wrote it was there were other women and other moms just like me who didn't feel like medication was the answer, but God needed them to find some other ways to help make life better for themselves and their family. And so he asked me to write the book. So I, I went up to my parents, they were out of town. I sat down for three days, knocked it out um, with no kids. And then the book came and I've since learned a lot and ready to revise it a year later, but that's where it came from. It was just our experience, our learning. You've been able to do some really powerful things and, and get Get on top of your game. And it's, it's probably a struggle every day, isn't it? Is it still a struggle or is it something that you feel that you've got the upper hand on? Um, I think we both still struggle with it quite a bit. I think I feel like I have power. I have a lot of tools. But it's definitely a daily thing that I fight. Uh, even right now, we're kind of in a cycle. We've had a lot of transitions. I'm, I'm pregnant, so I've been really sick again. And I've really been fighting some of those feelings again of, falling back into old thought patterns and old habits. And I've had to really be a lot more diligent in controlling what's going on in my head because it's really been tough. The kind of way I like to describe it is I I didn't necessarily have a chemical issue within my body that was causing the depression. I call it belief-induced depression. I believed things and bought into ideas that caused me to feel depressed. And it wasn't an actual physical problem. It was within my own thinking, which is why medication wasn't the answer for me, because it didn't solve it. It didn't change what was going on in my own thought patterns. I had to do that. It's on medication. So, so how did you get on top of your game and in your thought process? How did you you replace negative thoughts and, and chatter with positive? Uh, I am really uber diligent on that. I am very aware of what is spinning through my head all the time. 
and very quick to stop it. And and I'm often asking myself, is this thought pattern going to take me where I want to go? Is this thought pattern going to help me feel grateful and help me feel positive and hopeful? Or is it going to help me feel more bitter and anxious and discouraged? I sometimes wonder if I'm too, uh, almost Pollyanna sometimes, but for me, if I allow myself to even start down a path of even talking about reality sometimes, it's too easy for me to take it negative. And so I often won't even voice the reality. Like it's really cold right now. That's the first time I've said that in the whole, this whole week, because if I focus on how cold it is, I'm going to get discouraged and I'm going to get angry about it. If I just don't even let my mind go there, then I don't ever give it a chance to head down that negative path. And so I'm constantly choosing what I think about all the time. And, and Jimmy's really good to help me with that too. He'll say, um, you always ask me, or, and this is something that's in the book, but our good friend, Dr. Paul, talks about evaluation mode versus creation mode. And he'll ask me all the time, are you in evaluation mode? Because you sure sound like you're being negative right now. And he's so loving when he does it. Well, but. It's, it's a whole whole different reason why I'm asking him. I'm asking for my own reference, not necessarily. <laughs> you just want to know how close you can stand to her, right? Right. <laughs> So let, let me ask you this. In one of your sub-chapters, it's just kind of a highlighted area of one of your chapters, it said gratitude, how did it say, something about getting rid of the funk with gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked lightly on that, that, that funk. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a Dr. Paul. But I, I, I know that when I wake up in the morning and I'm half in and half out of my sleep, and I can't think how I'm going to pay my bills, and I can't think how I'm going to do this, and, and all these scenarios are going through my mind, and it's just, I'm just ready to blow up. And then as soon as I get up, and I sit up and get out of bed, and my mind clears, and I get out of that in-between mode, then all of a sudden I see things clearly, and I'm like, why was I stressing over that? It, it makes so much sense now. I think the more we sit there and allow ourselves to get in that funk, to just bring ourselves down to get in that almost comatose state just drives that deeper. And so how do you get up and get moving? How do you get rid of that funk? I I was going to say, I I like that you bring that up because it's something I've been noticing more and more in my own life that comes from a line from a poem that I've recently memorized. And I know you like poems too, but um, it's one by Longfellow where there's a line that says, let us then be up and doing. And, uh, I think about that a lot, that when when I get kind of stuck in my head and maybe in that comatose state that, you know, I, I'm not just that necessarily just when I wake up. I, I get into that during the day sometimes. You get, you know, working at the computer and your, your mind starts to water and you just kind of get in that brain cloud almost. And being up and doing something intentional, taking action, having, having a purpose and, and driving toward that can help you get clear and focused on, on the right things instead of getting stuck in your head and, and in that brain cloud almost. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned gratitude, and, and I was telling you as we were preparing for this that creating a gratitude list, I call it, it for me is my single most important tool that I use. I use it the most often. It does the most good for me. And it's not that I sit and think about all the things I'm grateful for. I used to I used to always tell my clients, if you woke up in the morning with only the things you thanked Heavenly Father for last night, what would you have? And I used to think about that sometimes. And then um, it was actually in one of your workshops where uh, one of our other friends, speakers came, Bob Cattell, and he was talking about gratitude. And he said, you know, if you'll take one thing you're grateful for and give a whole bunch of reasons why, it will actually shift how you feel faster than just a broad 
here's all the things that I'm grateful for. And so I use that now a ton in my own life, um, especially when I'm, you know, frustrated with kids or I'm frustrated with a situation or whatever. I'll stop and say, okay, what are all the ways this could be worse? And why am I grateful for this right now? Why am I grateful that I'm a mom when they're all screaming and I just want to cry and go to bed? <laughs> why am I grateful that I have these kids running around? Or why am I grateful that we're having financial struggles? What is the good from this? How could it be worse? And when I look at all the ways it could be worse, then I'm grateful for what I have. And when I become grateful for where I'm at right now, it gives me power to create something better. And so I often tell people, you can be content where you are right now and want to create something better. It's an and, not a but. You have to be grateful, though, or you'll never create from the right place. You'll always create from a place of desperation and anger and bitterness. And that's never going to bring you what you want, at least not with happiness and joy and fulfillment. So I love to do gratitude lists. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you said to not just be broad, broad-minded and say, you know, I, I, I'm thankful for such and such, but I'm thankful for it and list the reasons why. I mean, that's that just is so much deeper. You're going deep. And, and mm-hmm. I thought of um, Jimmy, too. Uh, Jimmy, maybe you can help me out on this. I, I am a big outdoors guy. I know that you love to hike. You like to hike mountaintops and summit big peaks. Uh, I just mm-hmm. don't know how you can have funk in your life and be standing on a peak at the same time. You can have it, but it's not on your, it's not on your mind when you're up there. Somehow getting to the top of that mountain just clears your mind. It's ironic, Scott, because that's usually why he's on the top of the mountain. He has funk in his life. <laughs> There are so many great analogies, I, I believe, with with mountaintops. And, you know, now we're getting into these cold months here in Utah. And, and if you want to see a beautiful sight, get up on top of a mountain in the middle of the winter when there's an inversion down below. It's it's incredible to be up above that smog and just see how clear it is. And and I think that's true in life, too. It You know, doc, our friend Dr. Paul again, elevation takes effort. Uh, the things that Shelly was talking about, that it, you know, she's had to work really hard to get her thoughts in the right place. It's the same thing, you know, hiking a mountain. It takes effort. It takes a, you know, persistent stepping up. And as you do that, eventually you'll get to a spot where you get this amazing view and your head's clear and you, you just see things and you're so grateful and it's worth it. It really is worth the effort. Something I love too about being on mountain peaks is that, when you get up there, that's not the end. You got to come back down too, and there are other peaks in the distance. So once you hit one, then work to the next one. All your problems don't go away just because you got to the top of one. Yeah. But we had a, a gal on our, our show a few weeks ago, Signe Gines, who's been on top of what was it, Becky? It's like fifty-two peaks, or uh, the something, peaks or something. Yeah, I can't remember the, how many peaks. I'm losing my 50 mind. Something. Fifty-two of the fifty-eight. <laughs> 14, like 14ers, they call them, in Colorado, wow. the 14,000-foot peaks. And, yeah, she just is go, go, go. And and she was dealing with cancer. She hiked a lot of them while she was in chemotherapy. And it was just mm-hmm. freeing to her. So I have a question for you, too. And I don't know who wants to address this, but your um, keys, keys number seven in your chapters is choose courage. How do you choose courage? I mean, courageous people are, are just big, mighty, powerful people. How, how do you become courageous and choose that? Well, I think there are some people who are born with a little more courage than others, but courage isn't something necessarily everyone's born with. It's a choice. It's a, it's a habit. 
I'm, I'm very careful with my words. And so that whole chapter is actually on fear, but I, I always talk about choosing courage instead of fear, instead of like facing your fear. I want to just choose courage, which means I may be afraid when I'm going to face it anyway. And that was a huge lesson for me to learn the hard way, because I always thought that you were just born with it or you weren't. I remembered the quote from John Wayne that he says, courage is saddling up, even though you're scared, you know, or being scared to death and saddling up anyway. And I love horses and I spent a good deal of time on them. And I always just kind of thought he was talking about actually getting on horses, which I had to mentally gear myself up when I would get on a horse sometimes. <laughs> and then a couple of years ago, after I'd been through what I'd been through, I realized that I spent a lot of time running away from the things that scared me. And I spent a lot of time dodging and trying to avoid things that were painful or challenging. And if I would just face some of those things, I would find that I would have more strength to face even more things. And those courage muscles got stronger and stronger and stronger. And we did a courage dare, a 30-day courage dare you can find on our website. And for 30 days, we invited people, and we did it along with them, to do something that scared them every day. And sometimes that was things like putting together a budget or going through paperwork that had been sitting there for years they didn't want to face. And for some people, it was doing other things like talking to people on the street or hitting a big business goal or going after something or writing a book or... It was all sorts of different things. We used to say, you know, you got to be a fear flipper. You got to take that anxiety and the stress that comes from that fear and gives you that pit in your stomach and flip it so that that adrenaline can help you face what it is that you're afraid of. And that's, and choosing to face that instead of running away. I think it is, it's a choice and it's a muscle that you have to work over and over and over again. And the more you do it, the stronger it gets and the more powerful you become. And the bigger your I don't want to say comfort zone because I don't comfort zone and complacent zone are very two very different things. But choosing that courage is getting out of that complacent zone, that place where life is easy, that place where you don't have to work hard to have things function. And and if you're not stepping out of that complacent zone, you're not growing. Right. I don't know, Jimmy, your thoughts on courage? <laughs> it, well when you when you brought up courage being kind of the opposite of fear. It actually made me think of a, a podcast I re recently listened to where one of the people talking talked about a self-preservation reaction. And and I think that maybe when we fall into that fear, it's, it's kind of a reaction of self-preservation. We're thinking about how is this going to affect me in a negative way? And I wonder if maybe another an, an associated version of courage could truly just be love that you care more for someone else or something else more than yourself and you're willing to take action even though it it comes at a risk to yourself you know it exposes yourself it's vulnerable whatever it may be but you're doing it in hopes to benefit and help someone else i think that is true courage as well mm -hmm. courageous people aren't just born that way as as much I, I think you're right that some people have a little more they're not afraid of heights that doesn't make them necessarily courageous to to do the things that other people are afraid of. Yeah, it just means that their fears are different than ours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It means they're normal. We all get our own special mix. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're approaching 22 minutes, and it's been a lot of fun having you two on our show. And any parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our audience? I think just the most important thing is to always strive to rise up. That's kind of our, our theme with what we try and do is, 
there's always room for us to grow and get closer to the person that God's created us to be. And he's created us to be amazing and um, incredible. And, and it's usually us who keep us from reaching that. And so everything that we try and do is to help people uh, rise up to that person and get closer to God and closer to who he needs us to be so that they can serve better and, and be an instrument for him. And so I guess just, you know, don't ever quit trying I love the Ziegler quote. He says, uh, it doesn't matter how big of a step you can take, take whatever step you can, but take it now. That's the key. You have to take it now. And so sometimes, you know, people look at, at maybe where I'm at from where I've been and think, wow, how did you get there? And I think, you know, it's been six years of constant daily vigilant studying and working hard and, and retraining my thoughts. And I still have a long way to go. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen tomorrow, you know, but there's always a step in the right direction. And every little change you make now is going to add up to huge changes in the future. So it's worth taking that first step, whatever it is, to become a better you. I love the fact that you said who God created them to be, because we're all different. He needs each of us to be specific in only or in, in those certain things Unique. and talents, the uniqueness that He gave us each. And so it's not to be. He doesn't want me to hike mountaintops like Jimmy. He He wants me to have my own uniqueness and be the best I can be at what He gave me. I, I love that. Thank you, Shelley. I agree with her that it's it's not about the big drastic changes. It's not about going to some big retreat and having this miracle change all at once. Yeah, those things help, but the thing that counts the most is those consistent daily choices and and choosing when you're when you're facing your fear and choosing courage and doing it consistently and staying committed to the truth that you know you need to stay committed to. Those are mm-hmm. great parting words. You can connect with Jimmy and Shelley at their website of the same name. JimmyandShelly.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jimmy and Shelly. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.